Welcome to the Global Digital Banker. My name is Adele Grissom and this is RFI Group's Insight Back podcast focused on key trends, thought leadership and best practice within the fast-growing and dynamic world of digital banking. The episode this week highlights some of the key innovators that presented at Money 2020 in Asia last week. Held in Singapore, the event focused heavily on payments and brought together visionaries and innovators from across the globe who discussed new ways to spend, manage, save, borrow, share and protect money. In part one of this Money 2020 special, Chloe James, Group Media Director at RFI Group, sat down with guest Brett King, Founder and Executive Chairman at Movement, and Christo Carman, Founder and CEO at TransferWise. Prior to his on-stage presentation, Chloe James sat down with Brett King, who discussed their recent joint venture with Japan-based SBI Group. He also shed some light on their upcoming acquisition of a US bank, the payments trends for the next 12 months, and the influence of science fiction on fintech. Hey, so here we are at Money 2020 in Singapore in March 2018. Exciting times. Chloe James here for RFI Group. Really excited to be sitting down with Brett King, who I'm on stage with in a couple of hours, but have a few minutes with him just before to chat about a couple of things. Hey, Brett. Hey, Chloe. Good to see you again. So good to see you. So I'm only going to take up a couple of minutes of your time. I know we've got to get on stage very shortly, but wanted to just quickly chat to you about this joint venture with SBI Group, which I know we are chatting about later today with the Move and Enterprise offering. Tell me about it. So um, we were approached by these guys in, back in October, and you know, um, briefly, um, Kitao San, who's the CEO of SBI, obviously SBI started as SoftBank Investments, but now their you know, LPs include regional banks and a lot of other organizations, but their thesis is really that all of these new technologies are going to form the new, the foundation of banking in the future. So they become sort of this aggregate, um, you know, fintech technology platform. Um, and so they came to us uh, late last year. Um, we met uh, with them in December, and you know, the deal deal was done. Uh, uh, you know, the MOU was signed back in, uh, well, I guess, late Jan, and we'll be funded with those guys next week. So it's all all move pretty quickly yeah it's, it has moved quickly it must be exciting times for you that's an, that's certainly an exciting venture what can we expect to see with the restructure from a move and bank perspective so obviously um, you know we, we will have a pretty strong focus on Asia um, that'll start with access to the 60 partner banks that um, SoftBank and SBI have in their wheelhouse 28 or so who are actually LPs in their fund that will invest in us. So we'll start with that. You know, the regional banks are fairly behind the uh, the bigger banks in Japan and of course uh, there's some of the challenger banks elsewhere around the world. So Movin is a way to accelerate their mobile capabilities pretty quickly and we'll start with that and then we'll be looking at broader Asian uh, you know, growth from there. But Asia becomes a um, our biggest base outside of the US for sure. Wow, well, perfect time to be here in Singapore then discussing that. There has been talk about the acquisition of a bank within the US by Movin. I know that that's something that's on the cards. Can you chat a little bit about that, reveal a bit? Sure, I can. I mean, obviously I can't talk about who the bank is because, you know, we, we still require FDIC approval for the, uh, the acquisition. But, you know, the US, the, the challenge in the US, why you haven't seen challenger banks in the US is the Community Reinvestment Act and other elements of the legal framework, plus the uh, the way charters are, are done in the U.S., means that you have to still have branch architecture. 
right? Um, and the FDIC has only issued two charters since 2008, so they're very strongly disposed towards taking over existing banks rather than uh, starting new banks, the challenger banks. The OCC charter, which was a fintech charter, which was proposed, was shut down by the Trump administration to favour incumbent banks. So really, if you want to be a challenger, the only path really right now is to acquire an existing bank. But then you get the trouble of what do you do with branches? Because we don't want to run branches as a digital bank. So we had to find a partner bank that would be willing to come in under a merger or acquisition play where they would run that branch operation and we would just do the digital pure play separately. So uh, it was, it's pretty tricky in the US. They don't make it easy from a regulatory perspective to do challenger. The interesting you talk about in incumbent banks there and just the sheer number of banks in the US it's massive, right? But as you say, so many branches. But it has, it has reduced significantly. So, you know, it had 16,000 credit unions, FIs, banks, and savings and loan banks throughout the US just a few years ago. Now, um, there's less than 5,500 you know, community banks, and um, you know, the, the credit unions are shrinking as well. So, you have massive consolidation occurring. It is overbanked. Um, and you know, significantly overbranched as well in the US. So we are going to see structural change. Yeah, and you'll be at the forefront of that, I would imagine. Absolutely. Love just to hear a couple of your views on big payment trends that you might see over the next 12 months, especially perhaps anything you've seen here while you've been in Singapore. Obviously, when you get into a taxi in Singapore today, you know, um, and with the payments uh, landscape, you have Nets, you know, which is their uh, smart card-based system. But of course, the real interesting change is you start seeing the Chinese uh, schemes, um, you know, Alipay and WeChat coming into you know, things like uh, you know, retail um, and the taxi environment. We have Alipay in New York in taxis as well. But that sort of, I think, shows the direction of where I think mobile payments uh, are going. Just like we saw with the explosion of credit cards, the creation of networks like MasterCard, Visa and Amex back, back in the day where you still had the knuckle busters and plastic cards, the, the mobile payments is really happening and being born here in Asia. And you know, the biggest payments networks in the world will be IP-based on mobiles initially, but then voice commerce and augmented reality later. And players like Alipay and Tencent have really distinct advantages because they're massive scale already in China. Yeah, they got the numbers. They got the numbers right. Just finishing up, one of the most innovative people that we know and certainly in this industry, who do you look for when it, when it comes to innovation in the digital space? And just any, any people that you admire, perhaps? So actually, you know, I get a lot of my inspiration from science fiction as a futurist. You know, as a futurist, you look for those trends that you, you, you're going to see. And so a lot of the dreaming of where this is going to go in 50, 100 years comes out of sci-fi. And then we tend to operationalize it. Look at the Motorola flip phone versus the Star Trek communicator or, you know, holodeck and VR technology and things like that. So a lot of the stuff that... We, you know, that I get inspiration from is really, uh, you know, in respect to that. But if I was to pick one guy at the moment who I think has the best chance of changing the world, it would be Elon Musk. I just think he's phenomenal. Obviously, I'm a space fan anyway. So, what do you doing? go to space? Oh, absolutely, in a heartbeat. <laughs> I in a heartbeat. Never. No, no, in a heartbeat. Um, I'm terrified. In fact, uh, you know, my fiance Katie and I have been talking about whether we retire on Mars. You know, so uh, do they need fintech on Mars? I'm sure they will do. It'll probably be a cryptocurrency, <laughs> yeah, like the yeah. Mars coin or something. Yeah, Amazing. Listen, thanks, Brett. Thanks for your time. You're Looking welcome. forward to seeing you on stage in a couple of hours. Thank you. 
up, we have Chloe James's interview with Christophe Colmer from TransferWise, where he spoke about the growth opportunities within Asia, the current state of the fintech boom, and some great use case studies of banks endorsing TransferWise to customers over their own international transfer offering. Chloe James here for the RFI Group Global Digital Banker podcast with Christo Carmen from TransferWise at Money 2020 in Singapore. So great to chat to you. We've just come off stage together. Very cool. Uh, good to be on the podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, you have a pretty incredible story. The founder of TransferWise, one of the founders, I should say, there are two of you to that, obviously, as well. Tell me a little bit about the last seven years in a nutshell and what you're focusing on now? The last seven years, it's been, a, it's been an amazing journey for us, for our users, for the early adopters. So it really started in early 2011 with just a blog post on TechCrunch which said, and these two Estonian dudes have figured out how to move your money across countries and not pay the, the margins that, uh, that are inflated in the exchange rate when you use your bank. So this is just a reasonably technical story on TechCrunch and um, you know what, 15 minutes later, someone put £2,000 in our UK account to deliver money to France and then we started collecting money in France and uh, in the Eurozone to deliver it to the UK and actually by the end of the day uh, we had users who wanted to use the service and so that was incredible already from the outset and then since then it's just been so much demand. We started with pounds and euro but now it lasts for Australian dollar, US dollar, can deliver to Vietnam, can deliver to Japan. Now we have 67 countries where we're operating. Uh, we're in nine offices around the world. We just uh, added our Asia hub in Singapore last year, which is already 40 people, and will be 80 by the end of this year. So with the, with the seven years, we've, we've grown to 900 people globally, and now moving. Um, one and a half billion pounds a month for our users. That's an enormous amount of trust that uh, has been placed on us. Absolutely. Huge amount of trust. So many users using the benefits of TransferWise, which is awesome. I, you know that I've told you I am a user, a very happy user at that. Speaking of, of the Asia market, we're here now, and you, you've spoken about growth. It sounds like this is going to be a big year for you. What are you looking at doing across the region, and specifically because we are here at Money 2020 in Singapore? So I find that Asia is really international. You know, in the US, uh, for example, you could have all the services that you need you know, from local companies or all the products that you need to buy. But here, everything that you do is inherently inherently international. So there's a lot of demand for transfers here in both Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, Australia, New Zealand. So that's uh, just expanding really fast just because the nature of business here so, so mm, there's, there's so much going on here. There's a, it's ripe for opportunity in your perspective? Uh, definitely ripe for opportunity and, and even better, everything in Asia happens faster. Uh, so maybe from the kind of fintech uh, starting point is a little bit you know, uh, earlier uh, in, in terms of where, where it started growing from. But at the speed at which everything is developing here, you know, we're, we're seeing amazing, uh, amazing growth. This fintech boom, if you like, that we have seen over the last number of years that seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you only need to come to a Money 2020 conference where there is anywhere between 2,000 and up to 15,000 people in the States. 
Do you think it has any signs of slowing down or do you think fintech is just here to stay and, and really going to become very much a norm and a big part of financial services generally? I think it's just getting started, to be honest. When you say fintech, I would, I would think more, glo- more, more broadly a little bit on how universal banking as we know it, or retail banking, is starting to get redefined where some products are starting to be done by tech companies like foreign transfers, now even lending, credit scoring, all of these things are, are moving out of traditional banks and you know, banks are changing their business models as well. They're coming to terms with that. And some banks find that actually it's maybe better if we don't have to do those. Some of those complicated things that you know, are always number 20 on our priority list, but really piss off our users or our customers when you know, we have to do foreign transfer for them and it takes two weeks and it's really painful. So maybe it's better if it's done much more twice. Yeah, and you had a great example on stage just now regarding a bank in Hungary, in fact, promoting TransferWise to their customers. That was uh, that was incredible. That's, I think, the first time we saw this starting to happen. That was already three years ago, where we found that we suddenly have a lot more users coming from Hungary. And when we started asking them, where did you hear about it? And we always do that. They said, we heard it from our bank. And, and so... Um, Exploring it further, it appears that there's a, there was a bank in Hungary, it still is, uh, and we figured out it's, it's just so much better experience for their users and, and it costs them less. I mean, it's still an expensive product for them to run this correspondent banking. To actually uh, teach their branch staff that if someone comes in and wants to make an international payment, then their branch staff helps them to set up TransferWise and do it on TransferWise instead. So the bank's happy because their users are happy and they have to spend less on their uh, swift fees. And the users are really happy because you know, suddenly it's like five times faster than they used to and costs so much less. Yeah, and that's what we said on stage, right? You mentioned the MPS probably went up tenfold. And, and as I pointed out with that example that you gave, I mean, the bank gave them the idea and suggestion that this would be better for them. So in fact, they are getting some of the credit and kudos for saying here's a service that you can use do you, will you be doing more i mean that was a total fluke and by accident you didn't even know that that was happening nor was TransferWise driving that would you look to start working more closely with banks so that they are offering your services we we are and uh, and we see that that's a great experience um, for example now the newer banks that get started and there's there's a lot of them one of the older neobanks, uh, number 26 in Germany, when they launched, of course their users need to send money abroad as well, I mean it's a normal course of business, and they had a choice of integrating SWIFT and correspondent banking, but they chose, uh, they thought it's a terrible idea, they just uh, integrated TransferWise, so now when you're in their app, you have this amazing experience where you just connect the two accounts, you connect your TransferWise account with a number 26 account, and then you can either make the transfer from number 26 app, or from the chat with them, it all looks the same, it works exactly the same. Um, and they achieve this by just implementing our, our APIs that we are open for them. This is also, I find, a really cool experience for the user of the bank. And, and in that example, and, and also in the Hungarian example, the users weren't leaving their bank. And they're still doing the everyday banking with them, they're doing their everyday banking in number 26. It's just that this part of the service is with someone else who knows how to do this globally a little bit better. 
Fantastic. Listen, thank you so much for coming on Global Street Banker Podcast. I could probably talk to you all day. I had to get dragged off the stage really having a discussion with you, but so exciting to see what you're doing. You've created such an amazing business. Congratulations and thanks for your time. Thanks, Dave. Remember to stay tuned later this week to hear part two of this Money 2020 special. We hope you enjoyed the episode this week. To view the show notes from this episode, head to globaldigitalbanker.com get in touch with us, check out our Instagram, Global Digital Banker, Twitter at GDB Podcast, or on Facebook under Global Digital Banker Podcast. If you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode, email us at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com.